Hey y'all, this is Gretchen from Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts, but make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Dale Atkins and Amanda Saltower, and we're focused on their book, The Kindness Advantage, Cultivating Compassionate and Connected Children, Everyday Ideas for Raising Kids Who Care. You're going to love this book. It's going to give you ideas about working with your children and the children you're responsible for in your classroom. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Dale V. Atkins is a licensed psychologist with more than 40 years of experience as a relationship expert focusing on families, wellness, managing stress, and living a balanced, meaningful life. Author of six books and many chapters, articles, and journals for popular and professional audiences, Dale is a featured speaker who leads seminars worldwide about raising responsible and charitable children. Dale is a frequent guest expert in the media. Dale has a private psychology practice in New York City. She also has two children, and six grandchildren, and lives in Connecticut. She can be found on Twitter at Dr. Dale Atkins, on Facebook, and at www.drdaleatkins.com. And that's D-R-D-A-L-E-A-T-K-I-N-S.com. And I'll make sure I have that link in the show notes. Amanda R. Salzhauer, MSW, has worked as a social worker in clinics and private practice. She has been a member of several nonprofit boards, including Riverdale Neighborhood House and the Board of Overseers for the Dartmouth Center for Social Impact. She has three children and lives in New York City. Say hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is funny. Are those the dogs? You got it, as advertised. (laughs) My dog's in the house. <laughs> nice. I told I told Stephen that in approximately 18 minutes, the dogs would go crazy when Emily walked home from school and came through the door. And here they are. <laughs> <laughs> so just wanted to tell everyone we have an, our own announcement squad. We have the, uh, the dogs to welcome us to our show today. So thank you. <laughs> that's, that's too funny. Um, so... Dale and Amanda, before we go any further, who's the primary audience for the Kindness Advantage? Well, the primary audience is really parents and grandparents of young children. That said, we have been hearing from lots of other people, particularly teachers and other people in, uh, you know, in the education field, that they too have found the book a very useful resource for the children that they work with. Oh, that's excellent. And we're going to get into this a little bit later, but I, I really think after reading it that uh, I think uh, teachers and uh, school administrators should read as well, but let's not go there yet. <laughs> so um, it, you know, in the preface, um, this is stated, children who are raised in a culture where giving and compassion are valued become happier and more positively engaged with those around them. Could you talk a little bit about this? Yes. We're so happy you, uh, you know, you focused on that because there's quite a lot of anecdotal research, but of late, there's a lot of hard data to confirm 
that when children do acts of kindness on a regular basis, they do show much more happiness. They show that they do better in school. They have better social relationships. Their self-esteem is higher. They're less likely to be bullied. Their health is improved. And there's just so much to support their well-being and their improved, their improved well-being. And that's something that we see from very, very young children all the way through young adulthood. And we see it in adulthood too. But our focus, as Amanda said, is on, you know, parents of, of young children. That's, and, you know, that's excellent. We, we got, uh, um, I think it's important because, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, not that I ever did this, but, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> some people skip over the preface and the introductions and stuff like this. And I don't, I like going there, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and I just thought that that is something that, uh, um, you know, kind of speaks loudly is that, uh, and you, and you see it as you proceed to the book, um, this idea of, uh, um, that happier, uh, and positiveness, um, with children. So thank you. Um, so, it, so speaking of not skipping over the introduction, um, in the introduction, you know, you introduce us to this phrase, your child's kindness neuropathways. So that's unique for me. Could you talk a little bit about what this is referencing? Absolutely. So um, throughout the first chapter of the book, we really go into um, a lot of the research, which, as Dale said, um, you know, has uh, come to the forefront in the last, you know, many years, particularly research that's coming out of the Yale Baby Lab. And what they have shown with babies as young as three months old, um, you know, gives us evidence for this notion that our, that kids are hardwired for kindness and that, um, you know, it's sort of there in all of us, but with regular practice, um, we can create these kindness habits that will really last a lifetime. So it's kind of this combination between, um, you know, the nature and nurture. So it's in there. We have the science that shows us that now, but as parents, grandparents, teachers, we have uh, a responsibility and an important role to role model kindness so that, that kids really develop, um, these, these habits. Oh, that's, that's excellent. So, you know, so basically, I mean, what we're talking about here is that, uh, um, kids are born with, uh, I don't know if born's the right word, but, uh, when, when we start out, or, well, I guess we are born, right? We're not hatched. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was goofy. I'm like, well, where are you going with that one, Steve? The, uh, um, that they kind of learn, they learn anything other than kindness. Is that what you're saying? They really learn um, what they are exposed to, but what we found and what the research shows is that they have, we all have this propensity. We all have this inclination and we are wired, hardwired for it. Like a muscle, if it's not exercised, it will atrophy. So what we try to do is emphasize the importance for parents and grandparents and all adults who are in in contact with kids to give them opportunities to exercise that quote unquote muscle so that those neuropathways do become deeper. They do become the go-to pathway and that when kids see an opportunity, when they notice an opportunity to be kind, they just do it. 
and it becomes habitual. So the more we do it, the happier we are because what happens is, you know, we have these wonderful endorphins that are released in our brain. We get what's called a helper's high and we're encouraged to do more kindness acts. We're encouraged to be kind, to have compassion and to really try and look at another person's point of view because it makes us happy. That's awesome. It, it, it really is. That's, you know, it makes me think of different times when kids have interacted with me where, you know, they, <laughs> you know, it, just nice interactions and it, it's, it's just cool. Um, shows it. I, I guess the first story that comes to mind is I just remember I, I was working with some teachers in a building where the teachers know me, but the kids don't know me. I'm working with them. I'm doing some coaching and I, I dropped a pencil and I didn't realize it. And it's during a class change. Well, a kid saw me drop the pencil and she followed me <laughs> to the next class till she caught up to me and said, you wow. dropped this. And I thought that was the coolest thing because first of all, she had to see me drop it. And then she had to take her way out of my, out of her way to go f- give it to me. And she knew who I was. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's I, a great story. And I think that it really highlights so much of what we talk about in the book, right? You picked up on one of the 10 fundamentals of kindness, right? Uh, Observing this girl saw what happened. She noticed it. She knew she could do something. She jumped right in and, you know, and she followed you and she found you. And that's just such a great illustration of what we're really trying to convey with these kind of everyday acts of kindness. That's awesome. We get, you know, one one of the things that before I leave the introduction, because I got to go into this, you you talk about, there's something I really like is that you suggest ways to use the kindness advantage. Could you talk just a little bit about those ideas? Well, everybody has an opportunity to do something and there are multiple opportunities throughout the day. And what we really, what we really talk about the kindness advantage as being is being kind because when you're kind, it makes you feel good and it helps you feel connected to other people or animals or the environment. And that's what gives your life meaning. So each of us will find something different to do. Uh, but when you, when you really look at it, I mean, just the example you gave of the, of the little girl who followed you with the pencil or thinking about who was kind to you today or who are you kind to? Or with very young children, you can make a kindness chart and you can talk about kindness and look for it, look for opportunities. When you walk into a room, say hello to people, not just walk right by them. Help someone. If you're in the market and someone's having a difficult time reaching something, you know, ask, may I help you get that? And have your children see you do these things and do them when you're not with your children too. So it becomes (laughs) a habit for you also. But it is easy to do these things if we open our eyes and our ears and we look and we see and we listen to where people really could use some assistance. And I think that that's one of the things that when we say everybody can do this and you can do it any moment of any day, it's really that that we're talking about and trying to help people understand that. That's excellent. The uh, and and I and I love just making those suggestions because people may not think about the different ways how they could sit down and use and use the book, um, the the topics. And by the way, what's funny is that the more I, I read, the more I start thinking about different <laughs> different ways I've seen some of the parts be interacted, or even myself. I mean, because you know, one of the things that makes you think about is that if, if I. I 
I don't know, it just had this impact on me that, um, you know, maybe I could be a little nicer when I'm at the door or something, you know, and, and you start thinking yeah. about it and then suddenly you're doing it. And I would think, you know, the same thing, you kind of see that in the, in children as they see it modeled or as they see you talking about it or emphasizing, um, what. Absolutely. And there's actually, um, you know, there's some interesting research that, Yes, definitely parents need to role model these kinds of behavior, but it's also really important for parents to continue talking about, you know, what they're doing, their acts of kindness, if they're engaged in volunteer activities. Um, particularly, although I think a lot of us think that these are really important conversations to have when our kids are little, this is when we're forming all these habits. But this particular study um, looked at teenagers and what they found was that um, parents who continued to have these conversations with their kids um, about giving as their kids became older and as they became teenagers are those are the kids who became, you know, quote unquote, giving teens. So they had these ongoing conversations. They saw their parents volunteering. They understood the impact that that experience was having on their parents and they had opportunities to gauge, engage in their own um, you know, volunteer experiences as well. So it is exactly as you said, you know, sort of modeling, talking about it, and just doing that over and over and over. And, you know, the, the conversation will change a little bit as your child grows, but making sure that you continue that conversation. Oh, excellent. Excellent. The, uh, it, one of the things I gotta, I gotta make sure I talk about is I love the format of your book. It's easy to read, easy to follow, and easy to put to use. Can you talk a little bit about the design of the book? Well, sure. And, you know, we really appreciate that you noticed. <laughs> we thought long and hard about the type of book that we wanted to present. And this book has gone through many incarnations. You know, it took us five years to write it. And we wanted it to be accessible. We wanted it to be a book that people could use. You know, some people want to read it on their own. Some people want to read it with their children. Some people want to just, you know, use parts of it and go back and forth. So we really wanted people to first understand what is kindness and why is it important to have it in our lives and the importance of, you know, setting a positive example. We, we, we speak about 10 fundamentals of kindness in the book. And really we came to these fundamentals, Steve, because we had first wanted to write a book about charitable, charitable children, raising charitable children and compassionate children. And we started interviewing people who were charitable. And what we discovered was that all of these people shared certain commonalities, attributes, if you will. And they were accepting and they were people who were curious and they were people who were committed and they had empathy. So we gathered these attributes and we focused a whole chapter in the book about these fundamentals. And we have a section in the, in that chapter about, you know, things you can do with your children. First things you can read to your child, read alone, read to your child, activities you can do with your child, activities you can do on your own. We have real life examples of children from all over the country who from very, very young ages, from the ages of four through teenagehood would do something based on what they saw or what disturbed them. And they would create either an opportunity to do something with their friends, to help someone or to change something in their community. Uh, some little girl who was six did something because she wanted to get dogs bulletproof vests. Someone else wanted to get books donated to libraries. Someone else wanted to work with children in shelters. 
and and their parents were very supportive of them in trying to make these things happen. We have approaches to tough conversations because there's always conversations that you don't want to have. And we thought we'd give a little example here and there of tough conversations that all of us have with our kids. Um, we wanted to give opportunities and ideas for how you find formal experiences, volunteer experiences with young children, with older children, how you might take a volunteer vacation or, you know, where do you start? We have, we have a whole chapter on relaxation. Because when you start something new or you go out of the box or you're anxious about something, it's really important for parents and children to learn ways to relax. And we have troubleshooting. And then we have, which I think is what you were also talking about, is an opportunity for people to do self-reflective exercises. How do I feel about this? What do I, what do, where did I get my ideas about kindness or unkindness or bullying? And then we have, um, journal pages for people to write in and we have websites and CDs available and we have quite a lot of resources for children and for parents, books and other resources for them to go to. And we hope it's accessible. It's, you know, it's not a long book, but we, we hope that it will be kind of a book and a workbook. Oh, it's awesome. It comes, it comes across perfectly like that because um, it allows you to reflect on what uh, what it is that you've read it doesn't feel like it's too cumbersome or that it's there's too much there and it's it uh, to me it, it's going to make that it, it's got a nice um, feel for a good resource that you're, you're going to want to dog ear and mark and write on and uh, refer back to so uh, kudos Thank you. <laughs> the uh, uh, one of the things that I want to talk about is because we're going to get into a couple of those sections that you just mentioned, and I love the sections called "In Real Life." Can you tell us what inspired these sections? And, and in some of them, you're telling stories, um, actually, and and uh, and how you hope they'll help the reader. Absolutely. So I think that there were a couple of uh, a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, the, the, the real life stories. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, correct. Okay. Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure because then I know we have another section with some of the, um, the examples of, uh, of tough conversations and roadblocks. But so really one of the most inspiring things for us as we were writing this book was coming upon all of these incredible kids and their kids who are as young as four, five, six years old up through um, young teenagers. And then we have a whole bunch of other stories that we actually didn't include in the book. And these are kids all across the country who are doing incredible things. Some of these kids are doing, um, you know, there, there's one example um, of a little girl who uh, in her kindergarten class, the kids were doing a service project and she decided she was going to collect cans and the, um, the, you know, the money was going to go to a, a local um, uh, shelter where they where it would buy meals a local soup kitchen i'm sorry where uh you know the the money that she got from turning in these cans would buy meals and this really went viral so to speak um this was a, a five-year-old girl and people started hearing about what she was doing and they would bring her their cans and it really became um, and ins inspiration for an entire community. And we love the fact that this is a little girl 
who saw a need in her immediate area. And even though she was really little, understood that there was something she could do to make a difference. So, you know, our goal in including these stories was to give people an example of what other kids are doing. Um, and there are, and to inspire them to take you know, sometimes it's an injustice that they see. Sometimes it's something that they're connected to. Sometimes it's a child's passion. So, for example, there's another real life story um, of a girl who's 11 years old named Olivia who loves to draw and paint. And her grandparents lived on the Gulf Coast. And after the oil spill, she was really upset to see what was happening to these birds. And she realized, you know what? I have a passion. I have a talent. I'm going to draw pictures. And she worked with the Audubon Society, drew these pictures, sold them, ultimately published a book of her drawings of birds and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars through the Audubon Society that went to um, clean up in the Gulf Coast specifically to help birds and other animals. And so again, this is an example of a kid who is doing something that's really changing the world and having an impact. And so, you know, through the, through the kind of cross section of stories, we want to give people an idea of you know, how kids come up with these um, projects. Sometimes it's, as I said, through an injustice. Sometimes it's following a passion. Sometimes it's um, reading a story in the newspaper and giving giving parents and other kids, especially, an idea of the impact that you can have. And each of us really can have an impact in the world. Well, it's, it's excellent. I and I, I think, you know, the, the stories fit so well in in the book and they make you think a little bit about uh, what you've been reading and where, you know, I, I think we're, you know, hof hopefully what I, what I think is where you're trying to drive the reader to. So um, hopefully that's what <laughs> you meant about imagining things. <laughs> You got it. And since we have, you know, typically two stories with each, with each of the ten fundamentals, we try to give you a glimpse at, um, you know, the fundamental in action, so to speak. And well, I think it does. It works very nicely, and uh, um, that's a nice, uh, a nice touch there. So, one of the things that I would like to get to, let's go to a couple of specific chapters. In chapter four, and you, you call it approaching tough conversations. And and for the audience, you haven't haven't looked at this yet, but they're they have these little uh, um, sections where they have a couple different ideas about what a tough conversation might be with a child. And uh, um, just just as a note, uh, um, one of my, uh, my one of my uh, one of the ones that really kind of stands out to me is um, like this. And so some of them are a little deeper, I guess, than others. Um, this one, a parent in your child's class dies. Um, there's a type um, as well as uh, um, what it's, uh, I was trying to find the one specifically that I wanted to share right here um, besides that one, because we go from, um, well, just like this, here we go. Your child asks how come some nights Annie stays at her mom's and other nights at her dad's. So there's a couple examples of some tough conversations. And by the way, with this, we're, we're recording this right before Thanksgiving. And I remember when uh, one of my sons was a, a lot younger and we're sitting at the table and suddenly it dawned on him that the turkey sitting in front of us might be a turkey. 
<laughs> so there, there's another one for you. <laughs> so, so that was an interesting, uh, um, tough conversation to have to have right then, right, right before grace. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that what you're, you know, and, and I think that hopefully if someone had read the book beforehand and then sat down before grace and they were, they were given this dilemma, they might feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it because one of the things that we're asking parents and grandparents to do is to really think about their responses in relation to what really they want their children to know. And they don't have to be able to speak about something at the very moment that it's presented. Now, certainly the Thanksgiving turkey may, may be a different <laughs> example, but, but to be able to be thoughtful and think of what your child wants to know, what your child might need to know. But again, there are always conversations that we, that we, we have a few responses. One is, Oh my goodness, I can't believe they asked me that. Or I can't believe they asked me that now. Or I thought I already answered that. And, you know, there's never one conversation. There are different times to have a conversation depending on your age of your child and their developmental stage and the setting and how comfortable and prepared you are at this moment. Because generally the tough conversations are about issues that are really important. As you said, some are deeper than others. And, you know, the first one you said was when you're, when a child in your, when a child's parent dies, um, you know, someone in their class. Well, how old are they? What do they, what do they know about death? What is their experience? What can you do with them? You know, with their concerns when they say, are you going to die? Or what does it mean? So you want to be prepared, but you also want to be responsive to your child. And I think that sometimes we forget that we're really trying to connect with our children's emotional state of being at that moment, as well as their curiosity. And we want to respond kindly. You know, you never want to say to your kid, oh, we're not going to talk about that. I think that we want to be approachable, no matter what the conversation is, at whatever point in our life, we want to be the parent or grandparent that our kids come to, so that we can give them information or help them find information. And so we want to be respectful of where they are emotionally, we want to be able to communicate clearly and we want to be as basic and as simple as possible. And we don't have to give all the information at once. We really want to not make it a lecture. We want to see where our kids are and move at their pace, saying what we feel is important for them to know. Yeah, I think that's, it's such awesome advice because it's real. <laughs> and <laughs> we have, you know, it's interesting because, uh, uh, sometimes I think adults try and avoid those conversations. So they, they shift, you know, <laughs> um, you, you try and, uh, well, I got to tell you, that's how we escape the Turkey conversation. <laughs> Cause you know, you do the sleight of hand and suddenly you're on a, a different topic and whoa, Hey, we're good. Um, but for some of these types of tough conversations, we're not going to be able to do that. And, or it's, it might be a lot more difficult. And, and I, you know, like I can think of one that, uh, happened, um, when one of my children was very young, where uh, they're in preschool age, and um, one of the children in the class, their home burned down, and mm. uh, um, and unfortunately, I'm not too sure that the adults in the setting how they handled it—not the parents of the children, but the um, 
the preschool where the kids were going to school, this uh, it's kind of like a half a morning type of environment type thing for just a couple hours. And they, yes. uh, um, they talked about it so much that uh, um, my child was really concerned about something burning down. You know, sure. I mean, that's what's going to happen next. What's going to happen? What, you know, where are we going to do in ours? And, and uh, do we have some way of stopping it? And it became, you know, almost, uh, you know, the opposite direction instead of being helpful. It all of a sudden we're the opposite, you know, we're, <laughs> we're almost at anxiety level. So I think it is important that we, we know that we have to figure out how to have the talks without taking it too far beyond, um, I don't know where it creates a, a different problem, I guess is my point. I think that's really true. And I think that, um, you know, these are conversations and maybe not this particular example, but so many of these conversations are ones that are going to happen over and over and over again. And I think that's exactly what Dale was referring to when she was talking about, you know, you, you want to try to give really just the information that your child needs or, or wants in that moment. And I think one of the, you know, a good rule of thumb is that, you know, start with, start with less. And if your child still has questions, um, they're going to ask, and then you can give a little bit more, and a you know, and a little bit more. Um, but uh, but I do think you know we want to be cautious in the situation that you gave that um, you know that we're not uh, you know creating unnecessary anxiety by you know by by focusing on uh, you know a tragic or difficult situation more than perhaps is necessary especially with very young children it's interesting you know it's and and this this is why I like this chapter I mean these I wish I'd had your book when I was had my children at those ages <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a compliment thank you thank you're, you you're welcome and i was quite serious because it's like it's one of those things where you go okay nobody told me about this one coming all right so and you know in some cases it can be funny which was the turkey one it wasn't funny at the time but it was afterwards <laughs> um they uh but you know it's it's one of those those things where you do need some, some sort of help or thoughts. And this is nice. So thank you. Um, we've got, you know, um, my favorite chapter in the book, by the way, is chapter seven and it's the troubleshooting chapter. Um, could you talk about your focus on this section? Because I really like this one. This was, um, kind of a, it's a, uh, first of all, what I'd like you to say is how the, where the idea came from, you know, did it just, was it always planned or does this come out of writing? <laughs> it came out of living. <laughs> <laughs> and we're so glad you like it because there are so many challenges in life and there are so many opportunities to, you know, to say the, what you think is the right thing, hopefully. And there's so many opportunities to say, oh, I wish I didn't say that or I wish I knew. I think one of the things that we wanted to try and get across in this chapter is to try and help families, um, try and help parents and grandparents look at something through the eyes of their child and really have empathy for their children. So, you know, one of the knee-jerk reactions we have, and I think the first example we have is when you see your child being unkind. It's like, oh my God, you know, you can get so embarrassed. That person's going to think I'm a terrible mom or my kid is an awful kid. And, you know, when you raise the uh, example about the child in your in your child's classes whose house burned down, well, children become afraid. And sometimes we don't want to talk about their fear. We're, we're afraid for them to be afraid. We don't want them to be afraid. But sometimes, like, for instance, if your child's unkind, they may be afraid of another child 
or they may be afraid of a situation or we want people to try and understand the roadblocks and then we can troubleshoot more effectively. So there are lots and lots of examples of what happens when you have a roadblock, when you have, you know, try and have patience, try and see if your child is ready for a conversation that you want to have with them. And, you know, we, this is a book about kindness and we're always talking to people about try this with your child or try that with your child. Well, you know, you may say, you know, I really love that the idea of my kid volunteering in this particular setting. And then your child has absolutely no interest in volunteering at that setting. And you try and push and try and make it more attractive. But really what we want to do is help parents troubleshoot for themselves and say, this is not the right fit for my child. It would have been nice because it's my fit. But how can I really try and understand what would be a good fit for my child without being disappointed, without showing disappointment, and trying to understand our feelings as we move through this whole kindness world? And there are lots of, you know, project, there are lots of roadblocks. Like, you know, you may be doing something and it's not right for your, co- for your kid. Or as something happened recently, we were on a radio show. And we used an example of, of a child who was a wonderful singer and wanted to get some friends together and sing with some friends at an assisted living facility. And it was really a great experience. And the host of the show thought that was a great idea and wanted her daughter to do the same thing, but her daughter wanted none of it because she didn't like the idea of being in this nursing facility. And so we tried to help her work through that with her. So, we think there are roadblocks because there's always roadblocks, but they're just roadblocks. It doesn't mean that we can't get through them. And how we get through them is really helpful as far as developing patience, empathy, respectful communication, and kindness to ourselves and our kids. And I think if I can just add on one comment, I think something else that we hope comes across in, um, you know, in this chapter, which we say frequently when we speak is that um, you know, nobody as a parent or, you know, as a person in general does the quote unquote right thing all the time. And we want people, we want parents to, as Dale said, be kind to themselves and realize, you know what? We, uh, we all make mistakes sometimes. And I think being able to, um, you know, sort of have that conversation with our kids, model for our kids what you do when you mess up and how you go back and deal with it and how you overcome, um, you know, those roadblocks is something that's really important both for our children to see us doing, but also for us as parents to know we're not the only one who's not the quote unquote perfect parent all the time. As long as we know kind of the, the direction that we want to go in and we try to stay on that course, that's the best any of us can do. That's awesome. That's awesome advice. I, I have to, I have to say this real quick because you, you said something before that, uh, um, you know, made me kind of, uh, it, it thinks about how you, it makes you think about how you interact. Um, and you said the thought about showing and making sure you don't show your disappointment. <laughs> I think about yeah. the many different ways people can show their disappointment. And they don't realize <laughs> just the way, just the inflection that you used in your voice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yes. And also, you can also, depending on the age of your kid, also. I mean, kids. Kids look. They they pick up on everything. They they're like you know. 
mind readers. <laughs> and <laughs> and they're much more attuned to the nonverbal communication and the tone and our body language. And they're watching and they're listening all the time. So you want to try and be as honest and open as you can and also own it. You know, if you are disappointed, gee, you know, I'm really... I'm, I'm kind of sorry because I thought that would be a good fit for you, but it's not. So let's find something that's really better for you, right? right. Since I thought it was a good idea to volunteer there, maybe I'll volunteer there. <laughs> um, and, and also, what, what is right for one child in a family is not necessarily right for each child in the family. And you really have to try and understand what would be a good connection for your child. What, what would they like to do based on their passion some kid may want to do something alone. Another may want to do it with a friend. Um, some kid may want to do something every week in a community. Somebody else once, you know, once every month. Everybody's different. The idea is to try and find something that's not burdensome, that is contributed to, contributory to your child and you as a family, feeling really good about being a force of good in your community, in your family, and then in your community and in the world. That's awesome. The uh, it's 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 such see it creates such good this chapter and and all of them they they create um, great opportunities to to talk with somebody about hey this happened <laughs> and this is what I'm thinking about my response should be or not and I you know that's why I like it when you're talking about there is no perfect really you know just the perfect way to do things or we can't be perfect but um, just getting some thoughts about how to deal with it is so helpful. So let me ask you this. Why, why should a teacher or school administrator read The Kindness Advantage? Well, I think that, I think there are a couple of reasons. I think one is that teachers and school administrators spending so much time with kids during the course of the day, the course of the year, really have an incredible opportunity to help model and teach kindness and empathy um, and compassion and acceptance and so much of what we talk about in the book. Um, and I think that although sort of our original thought was that this really was a, a parenting book, so to speak. Um, I think that especially having spoken to so many teachers now and school librarians and, you know, all kinds of um, educators who interact with kids on a day-to-day -day basis, the, the, the messages and often the uh, suggestions and exercises are totally relevant and adaptable to a school environment and a classroom environment. So I think that, um, you know, kind of the, the, the dual um, uh, sort of messages are that, you know, teachers and educators are tremendous kindness role models and role models of all, you know, of all sorts for kids. And the book is really um, you know, the way, as you were so kind to point out, the way it's written and designed, it's to be accessible. And there's so much that teachers, particularly in nursery and early elementary school classrooms, can just kind of use right from the book um, within their classrooms. And, you know, we really hope that, that, that they do, as well as sharing some of the real life stories, because I think those are, um, you know, anecdotes and messages that kids can connect with. I would add something also. Um, as Amanda was speaking, it occurred to me that there, are, and this has come up with some interviews that we've had to tell you the truth. I think another reason why it's so important for educators to be role models and to, and to 
be kind to the children in the classes that they teach and have, you know, interactions with, is there are so many children who are in homes where they're not treated kindly and where they don't feel good about themselves. And it's an opportunity for these children to be exposed to people who see their value and who want them to be in an environment where they feel safe and where they can try something with, with, where if they, you know, if they fall on their face, it's okay that they don't feel as if they're failures. So it's, it's another home, if you will. It's another place where these kids can learn to be valued. And I think that's another reason why teachers, superintendents, principals, the custodians, the people who work in the, in the cafeteria, when they're kind to these kids, they may be the only person who's been kind to that kid for that day. And that's a really important, it's a really important role. That, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that, and that's exactly where I would be going with this is that I think that uh, just because of the roles we're in and, and the type of interactions you have with kids, I think this hits the nail on the head with this because, you know, it's, it, you just never know. And I got to tell you, I taught my, I was a high school history teacher and with, from high schoolers to, and then I coached, uh, um, eventually I coached little kids all the way through high school uh, kids in soccer. And, and so the different ages, it's amazing that I, the older they get, you still run into the, the stuff that you've got to have. Uh, you got to make sure you're practicing your understanding of their types of behaviors and the type of kind responses you're going to have. So you can model that type because sometimes it's just, I mean, it, it you just got to be able to figure out how to go with, with what they've said. And that's why, and that's why I want to get back to the, um, the chapters that I loved is that, you know, you end up with, uh, <laughs> you never know what a child's going to say. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, um, and so that's going to create those tough conversations and you, and you never know when you're going to end up one of those situations where you just need some thought to try and figure out, you know, how do I deal with this? <laughs> and it's, it comes up at all ages. Uh -huh. So it's good stuff. So, you know, so as we're, getting ready to close out here. If someone wanted to connect further, we talked about this before, but I just want to reemphasize it here. Um, how would they connect with you guys? Where would you send them? The best way is probably through our website, which is www.thekindnessadvantagebook.com. And there's lots of information on the website um, about the book, about us, about, um, you know, upcoming speaking events, some articles. Um, but really one of our favorite parts of the website is a page called Share Your Story. And what we hope is that, um, people will go to the website and write up a brief description of either, uh, you know, a kind encounter that they were part of, something their child did, if they're involved in an activity with their child that, um, you know, that they thought was really terrific or that worked really well that they'd like to share, or if they had a tough conversation that they want to share and it went really well, or maybe it didn't go so well. Um, but any of those kinds of experiences, uh, we'd love to hear about, about. And we hope that, um, the, that, that particular page on our website will be a resource for people who are looking to connect with other, um, you know, other like-minded families who are engaged in, uh, you know, kindness activities. Excellent. And I'll make sure that that, uh, that page is also highlighted in the, in the show notes, not just the website, but also then that, that page for, uh, um, for sharing your story. So good stuff. Um, 
The uh, So I got two last questions here, which are uh, just things I like to ask. So the first one goes like this. If you were given the chance to talk with 100 brand new teachers who haven't started teaching yet, what advice would you give them? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I would, I would impress upon them the importance of taking care of themselves and in being kind to themselves so that they really have a full reservoir from which to draw because with all of the children and all of their other peers and all the parents that they're going to deal with, they need an enormous reserve of kindness and they need an enormous reserve of patience. And I would ask them to do that first. And I'd also ask them to look at each child and each family as an individual. And even if they've been, you know, so excited to get to teach and that's one thing, keep that enthusiasm and, and look for the uniqueness in every single child because every single child has something to offer and has, and has a passion about something. And maybe they're the teacher who's going to unlock it. Excellent. Excellent. I, I think the other thing, um, that, that I would add is to just keep in mind that the kids who are in your classroom are going to just like, you know, we said that kids soak in everything their parents say and do the same goes for teachers. And I think that um, often we can lose sight of the fact that, you know, even just a little interaction that, you know, may not have been involved in the lesson plan may not have been anything you, uh, you know, foresaw happening during a particular day is is an interaction that really may impact the child. And I think um, it's often those, uh, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, unscripted kinds of um, interactions that really are genuine, that, that have the potential to impact kids in a really deep way. And I think once you take care of yourself and have those resources, which I think is so vital as well, uh, you know, to really just keep in mind and be open to all of those uh, little interactions that happen. Nice. Very nice. Well, th- here's my last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If given a chance to say thank you, who would it be? And what would you say? I do. <laughs> um, and it was Miss Stevens and I was in fourth grade and Steve, I haven't thought about her until this moment. <laughs> and I don't know how many years. And I think that what I would thank her for was for always greeting me with a very warm smile and asking me how I felt this morning <laughs> as I walked through the door. Nice. And she did this with every kid who walked into her classroom. How did they feel today? And this was an awfully many years ago, and a lot of people weren't talking about feelings. But Miss Stevens asked me in fourth grade how I was feeling, and she set the stage for learning because she, everybody in her class kind of was ready to learn. I don't know. I can't put it into words other than those. It was a great word. And I would say that mine is Mrs. Jennings, who was my high school French teacher. And um, I was very strong in some subjects in school and really not so strong in others. And Mrs. Jennings is somebody who never let me get stuck on some of, you know, stuck on the challenges and always helped me keep 
uh, things that I might have been struggling with in school in perspective and made sure that I didn't think that those challenges or failures defined who I was as a student or as a person. And I will forever be grateful to her for that. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you both for sharing this. Good. Very good stuff. That's uh, it's funny. Um, and I like the thought that, uh, you know, not having thought about uh, <laughs> the person for that long, but uh, it's cool. See, there's, they make an impact on you. And it's so cool that uh, you never know what might bring those thoughts back. So thank you both thank for sharing. You for You're welcome. So Dale and Amanda, thank you so much for talking with me today about the kindness advantage, cultivating compassionate and connected children. I love the book and its message. Thank you so very much. And I wish you the best. Thank you. It was really a joy speaking with you. Thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.